Hi, welcome to What is Wellness, where I speak to experts in many different areas of the wellness field, whether it's environmentalists, mental health professionals, doctors, naturopaths, nutritionists, and even individuals who just have had incredible, inspiring stories in the wellness space so that we can get a broad picture of what actually is wellness. Today, I am speaking to the amazing Dr. Romney Gervasola, who is a licensed clinical psychologist in LA. She's professor of psychology at California State University. She's the author of several books, one of which is called Don't You Know Who I Am, which is the most amazing title for a book about narcissism. She has a great YouTube channel that you can subscribe to that focuses on difficult relationships, but specifically narcissistic abuse, where she goes into every category you can imagine. It's a great support and a great tool for survivors and you know people who are um, you know just really needing some support. Dr. Romney has also been featured on TED Talks, a huge range of media platforms like the Red Table Talk, the Today Show, Oxygen. She is all over the place. And today we've got her all to ourselves. I was talking to my dad, actually, and he trains people all over the world and his company does to recognize personality traits um, in an effort to improve communication and managerial skills, you know, in a business setting. And I thought to myself, wow, uh, we could all use training to, in identifying early signs of emotional traits that can lead to narcissistic abuse. Um, you know, from your perspective, you're so, you know, incredibly trained in this and you've talked to thousands of people and, you know, what are those kind of first signs that we as individuals, like a lot of people don't know about narcissism and, you know, right. I've read your books and, listen to a million of your podcasts and YouTube series. And, you know, but a lot of people don't have that advantage right. of knowledge. It's, you know, listen, it, I think what's so challenging about it is that there's sort of the prototypical sort of front facing narcissistic traits. And these are things like arrogance, entitlement, um, contempt for other people, being very superficial, being very egocentric, a tendency to be you know, for lack of a better word, bragging about themselves. Oh, those things are obviously almost like more obvious, right? We see those and we almost all know to sort of roll our eyes. But then there are those other qualities that are also very much associated with a narcissistic style that sometimes get missed. And those can be things like, um, like a propensity for sort of self-victimization, um, oh, everyone's always out to get me or, you know, I'm not, nothing's ever fair to me, or I, I had to scrape and make it from the bottom because nobody ever get helped me out. It's sometimes we almost, people will make the error of saying, wow, this person did it all on their own. They're amazing. But you really have to pay attention to how they're telling the story. They may say, you know, I came from humble beginnings and I was, you know, fortunate to be able to just sort of have some lucky turns and, and kind of built this up. That's very different than you know, I'm going to show everyone who ever tried to hold me back. Like it feels more vindictive. So that kind of communication is something to be aware of. Someone who is very, um, who is very distracted. Like, you know, if they're supposed to have time with you and be very present with you, that they seem that they're distracted by their phone or other people or other things that seem more important than you. They're always, I always use the analogy of, they always seem to be looking at the door to see something better is going to be coming in as though they're sort of humoring you by being there with you. And I think that that's another thing to look for. Um, 
a lot of charm and a lot of charisma. And so when somebody's charming, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're, that's something to look out for, but charm is almost one of those qualities that, that blinds us to other things that may be lurking beneath. So we see the charm and we're almost completely disarmed. And then we might miss all this other stuff I'm talking about, the arrogance and the charisma, I mean, the arrogance and the um, entitlement and all of that. And another big problem is we often think things like confidence are manifested by these very exteriorized, like I'm the best, no one's better than me. Well, aren't you lucky to be spending time with me? And you're thinking, oh, they're really confident. I wish I was that confident. Confident people are actually quite humble. You know, they kind of keep it together and and they kind of know they're the best. So they don't have to say they're the best. And so these kinds of things that we've almost been socialized to think are good qualities are often signs that something much darker may be lurking behind. Right. What about, and I, I that's amazing. I, I And I was also thinking, about the kind of guttural reactions to, you know, you've talked to so many people who are survivors of narcissistic abuse. And what they will all say is that going back to the beginning, there were those red flags, but there's something that happens in your gut that like you, you sort of feel it. And then you're like, no, yeah, yeah. I, their story, like they're, they're a victim. I'm going to give them an excuse or they're, you know, they're so charming. Like it can't be, there's a self-doubt that happens inherently boom, right off the bat. So like when you feel that, how do you trust it? So I would say that most more most people's gut instinct is better than their um, the the story they tell themselves to almost talk themselves out of their gut instinct. That gets more on point because I would say in some ways, like and listen, it's not. I'm not saying gut instincts are always perfect. If you look at. Um, Come back to me, the man who won the Nobel Prize, you would think he's a behavioral economist, Daniel Kahneman. When you look at Kahneman's work, you know, you really, you, you'll hear from him is that we have sort of this fast and slow thinking. And then that fast thinking isn't always right. But when we think of it in terms of things that get activated, things that in an interpersonal setting that may just not feel right, like mm, this doesn't feel perfect, but we talk ourselves out of it. When it comes to stuff like charm, in many ways, we want to believe the magic. And the best example I can give is whether it's kids or adults, when we go to magic shows or a magician is doing a trick in front of us, they don't have magic, right? They have used sleight of hand. They've done something with the deck of cards. They move their hands so quickly that it's not magic. It's sleight of hand. But we want to believe in magic. So in many ways, we don't even want to know how the magician did the trick for a minute, we just want to believe in magic. And so just the same as not wanting to know what the magician's secret is, so we can sort of be entertained by them. With narcissistic people, we want to believe like, yeah, all this charm and charisma and attractiveness can all be there and it can all be good because I don't want to know that they got the ace of spades up their sleeves. You know, that's really what it is. We don't want to know. But our guts are often, because listen, our, our nervous systems are well made to detect threat. You know, it's how we as a species have evolved, right? right. Our house, our, our, our pets at home can detect threat. We uh, as human beings can detect threat. And so something may put us off. And the more of these experiences a person has had in their life, especially if they had them in childhood, the, the less, the less skilled, interestingly, people become at detecting them because at some level it's become normalized to them. Yeah. You know, they're saying like this kind of manipulation, this kind of deceit, this kind of invalidation is just sort of old home week for them. And so they're saying, okay, this is, this is how it is supposed to be. So I think there's many things that can come along and sort of drop this curtain in front of our instincts, but then ultimately 
Kristen, there's actually one other interesting piece here, and that's society. Yes. So we may be full on linked into our gut and say, this doesn't feel right. And then a friend or a family member come away and say, come on, like, really? You know, you're talking yourself out of this. No wonder you're single because you, no one's good enough for you. Or people say, oh, I didn't think there was anything wrong with this person. Or I think you're overthinking it because other people, either they want to also believe the magic trick is true or that so many people don't know about this or whatever it is that the world might be telling us that this narcissistic person is great. So then we're like, how can the world be wrong? And I be the only one who's right. But in fact, some people really are, they know what's good for them. Yeah. That's such, such a good point. And I think that kind of leads a little bit into the second question that I had, which was about once you're in it, you know, it's like, I think something happens where, you know, and you've talked about this a lot, how, you know, obviously there's the love bombing that happens and that sort of creates this base layer for the person experiencing the narcissist, you know, relationship. And you kind of find yourself always going back to that base. And so once you're in this cycle, it's almost like being under a trance in a cult and you're sort of being led blindly and following this disturbing, never-ending roller coaster of highs and lows that eventually really strip your own sense of direction and your sense of self in a way, because creating the fake stability basically in this relationship where you have a false sense of structure in it. And you know, you always talk about like the um kind of like the dangling carrot, that there's always the hope of something coming in the future and and this whole conversation around that, you know, and the person who's in this relationship is just so confused. That's where that whole thing comes into play afterwards with just going over things in your head constantly. But once you're in this relationship and you're really deep in the hamster wheel of, you know, not really being able to get out, how do we get to radical acceptance? when you're feeling that that accepting that is almost a betrayal of this imposed reality with this other person. Right. So, you know, when a person is still in the mindset that to accept that this is unhealthy is a betrayal of the other person, a person is still deep, deep in the trauma bond. Okay. And the trauma bond in its most simple terms is equating abuse and love that, you know, or, or telling the story that these invalidating experiences are actually love. You know, people who are trauma bonded will um, will justify a lot. You'll find yourselves having the same conversations, the same arguments, things just cycle over and over and over again. And when you keep having the same conversations and the same arguments in a sort of distorted way, it's actually familiar. And so that familiarity is really what often keeps the trauma bond alive. One of the simplest tricks I offer to people when they're trying to get to a place of radical acceptance out of out of the um, you know out of the trauma bonded space is to stop using the word but and always use the word and and really catch themselves. And the reason is this: I'm in love with this person, or I love this person, or this is my person, and they humiliated me, and they invalidated me. The reason I say that, and so when I work with a client, for example, I'll say, mm, yeah, we're not using, but you love this person, but they were stressed. How about I love this person and they just came home and humiliated me. Cause that's what you just told me. You just told me they humiliated you, but no, 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 no. I don't care the, why they humiliated you. They humiliated you. That's an absolute thing. That's an absolute state. 
there. And so when people have to hold on to that, then you're like, mm, this doesn't fit. These pieces don't fit. I love someone. And now all of a sudden you're saying like, okay, I'm staying with someone humiliate, who humiliates me. The radical acceptance piece is less about rational, like making sense of the relationship than it is recognizing it's never going to change. So when I tell people, I'm like, I, you can stay in this forever. I do not have skin in the game of somebody leaving a relationship. It literally doesn't matter to me. I know they will be healthier if they leave. I really do. But in my, but I also recognize this isn't like drugs or alcohol or smoking where it's clearly a health mandate that you need to stop this. You're going to be in a relationship short of them beating you up. And that's a different conversation, but this is sort of the, 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 the spectrum of non-physically violent narcissistic abuse that I understand there's cultural, religious, a whole, a whole slew of reasons, children, money, you name it, people stay in relationships, radical acceptance is the full understanding. It's never going to change. You are staying in this relationship. I, so I always tell my clients, we're going we're gonna to negotiate here. We're going to do some horse trading. I'm going to sit here and I'll work with you forever on this relationship you're staying in. But the piece you're giving me and that I am not going to take off the table is I'm going to remind you this is never going to change ever. So this is what you signed up for. And as long as you're going into that eyes wide open, and then are able to say, and, and Kristen, over the years, I have worked with so many people who have said, I like our house. I don't want to live separately from my kids. I like the position I have in society. I can't afford to leave. Whatever the things are, they're caroming between. That I say, that's all, those are, you don't have to ever get, validate your reasons to anyone. You're staying under the premise, it's never going to change. I will not allow you to entertain the idea that it will. That's radical acceptance. That's so the radical acceptance is like, it, it, it's not going to change. But in a way that's such, I mean, that is so powerful to the, in a way that in itself is shifting that dynamic back to you. So instead of being this continuous, I mean, you are a victim of the abuse inherently in this dynamic, but you also are in a situation where if you can understand that you can elevate yourself in other ways by using the strategies that you show in all of your YouTube videos. You know, you just did a red table talk where you guys played out different scenarios of how people can respond. And that was unbelievable because it shows so clearly, okay, well, if you're a sister-in-law and you're going to, this person's going to be a member of your family it, for your own benefit, for you to, you know, not get continuously sucked into the cycle you, you can still be in a relationship with them, whatever way that, that exists, but your expectations are completely different. And that changes the game altogether. Right. That's right. Uh, it, it totally changes the game because then one of the phenomena you were talking about before, you know, was this idea of the carrot, right? That idea of the carrot and the carrot being taken away is called future faking and narcissistic right. people are better at future faking than any, anyone. As soon as they sense you might be pulling away, Oh, I'm going to go into therapy. I'm going to change or no, no, no. We're going to take that trip or no, no, no. We're definitely going to do this. We're going to definitely do that. And it is something that couldn't be executed at that moment. It would need a minute. So you're waiting. Well, they said, but no, we couldn't do that for a month. Anyhow, the month comes, 
the month goes, the target moves. And if you overfocus on it and say, you said a month, like, oh, are you really going to be that petty and hold me to a month? I said it was going to happen. And so that it's like, I tell people it, that target, you will ne- you guess what? You two are never going to Paris. I can tell you that. And you want to go to Paris. I highly advise you to buy your own ticket and go because you're not going together. Yeah. And that's a good point too, to take things into your own hands and just move through life for you. And not in a, not in a way to villainize someone else or to, you know, isolate yourself, but, but you have to just make, and that's actually, that leads to my next question. What happens with an emotionally abusive relationship is that a lot of times when you go to your support system, not because they mean it, you know, but just because of a lack of a knowledge base in this type of situation, which is kind of unique, is that it ends up sort of perpetuating the abuse. You talk about in, in your last book how you know emotional abuse is a bu- as a bruised soul, and it's very difficult because when you don't see something, you end up. I think a lot of times as the person who's abused, having to com- continuously explain yourself to other people in this situation. These are wonderful people, but just not knowing, you know, the reaction is, oh, he was this incredibly hands like successful guy. Like you'll get over. He, he was just like another guy. Like they're all the same. No, that's not the that's not the thing. What happens is you end up having to defend yourself to people who are your support system. So I, I'm wondering from your perspective, as someone surviving the narcissistic abuse, and you know, they really want to create a voice for themselves and be able to speak their truth. How do they do that? And at the same time, how can their support system really show up for them instead of adding to the trauma? Yes. So I I love that you're bringing this up because many times people will say, my friend's going through this. I don't get it. How can I support them? I say there is one question you never, ever get to ask anyone, which is why did you stay or why didn't you leave? That's no, first of all, it's nobody's business, but more than anything else, it's people not understanding the complexities of these relationships. I also think that what happens is, is there's a sort of group level of enabling, like that's just how people like this are, or, you know, great, it's great that you moved on and, you know, not no biggie. It is a biggie. Like if you're in one of these relationships to be gaslighted and manipulated, I don't care if the person's powerful or not powerful. It doesn't matter. In some ways, gaslighting does the same number on you. And so they become part of that same enabling system. So to anybody out there who has a friend who's bringing this to you or saying that they're in a narcissistically abusive relationship. It's really important also that you don't say to them, oh, don't use that word narcissist. You're not a therapist. You don't know. It's not a therapist word. It is a word that I mean, no differently than I could call someone stubborn or I could call somebody um, uh, introverted or something like that. I can make those observations with or without, with or without being a psychologist or, or counselor, you can say, no, this person's really narcissistic. They really lack empathy. They really are entitled. So when somebody comes to you and says, Hey, I was just in a relationship that was really narcissistically abusive. Instead of saying, "Mm, yeah, I don't know. Did you see a therapist? Blah, 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 blah. It's what just happened. Like, tell me about it. Hear their story. And trust me, if this has never happened to you, you don't get it. This is one of those things I cannot teach someone in words how to ride a bike. I got to throw them on a bike and have them figure it out. This is the riding a bike scenario of learning. Sadly, it is how most people have to learn this. Absolutely. And I think that's so hard because what's so incredibly important about what you do and what you write about is 
that this isn't this is an issue that it doesn't start and stop with interpersonal relationships. This becomes an issue that impacts society in a much larger way. And we can, in thinking about talking to you today, had endless questions and directions to go because, and we won't get into it today, but we could talk about narcissism and social media and narcissism in politicians and all that stuff and how those things affect our day-to-day, how we raise our children, what to expect from the coming generations, all of that. But you know, what you're doing is educating people on something that is not broadly known. So actually, my last question was about how, you know, now that we're equipped with some more of these tools that you've just talked to us about, what is the multiplier effect? How do we move this conversation further into the public sector um, to somehow reduce? And I know this is, I know this question is like, you know, we can't really do this. But, you know, in an ideal scenario, reduce some of the rewards that narcissists get, you know, you know, a lot of them are celebrities and athletes and politicians and like they get rewarded all the time for the narcissistic traits and the things that actually in other ways ruin other people's lives and give create space in our society and in our world for other people and for these potential victims that have come across narcissistic abusers. So I think a big piece of this is we're going to get nowhere trying to address the narcissist themselves or how the world interacts with narcissists. Because I will tell you, historically, as long as there was recorded history, the narcissists have always been rewarded. This isn't new. Go back to the Roman emperors. Go back. In fact, my my daughter was, um, we're, we're sort of looking at something over on world history, which was doing something in world history. And we were studying together. And it was, it was ancient history. And I'm thinking, I said, sweetie, everyone you're talking about is a narcissist everywhere. And then her and I watched this whole video about like world history and every, I'm like, see, and it was, and I didn't say it out loud anymore. She didn't want to hear about it. It was everything from every invader to all the ways this happened. These were really, these really cruel, mean spirited, unempathic dominance oriented people. They've always been around. So there's no way we're going to create a systemic fix. From the very beginning, Kristen, what motivated me to do the work I'm doing is like everyone who wants to fix this from the level of the narcissist is barking up the wrong tree. All we can do is arm everybody else in the world with the tools to stay away. Instead of seeing the narcissist as a big, beautiful, welcoming space to see them as dangerous to re- to recognize the red flags and get away. We're never going to be, people are always going to be drawn to this. The people who run the, the businesses who make them famous, studio bosses and network execs and whatever it is, sports agents and all these people, they're all part of the same system that enables yeah. this. We're not fixing these systems. Right. And so I'd say, because so much of the damage of this comes in the intimate relational space is to don't fall for the for the whole fairy tale narrative. Don't it doesn't work that way. You know, to really, really recognize that it's exciting to watch something grandiose play in front of you, but when it comes to real life, it really is about kindness, respect, reciprocity, 
mutuality. It really, it's really no more complicated than that. And empathy and compassion. That's the stuff that makes relationships last. And you are not going to get blood from a stone. You're not going to make a silk purse out of a sow's ear. A mean person doesn't turn nice. That happens in the movies. It doesn't happen in real life. And so I think that that it is to change that narrative in a way that people can say, you know, this is not good for me and step away from that person. Kristen, you and I both know there's going to be a line of people around that block wanting to interact with that narcissist next, especially when they have power, especially when they have fame, especially when they have money. There's always going to be an endless line of people who want to do that. Over time, what does end up happening is, you know, people say, is there karma in this? Like, do the narcissists ever get theirs? It's a very interesting story to watch narcissists get older. Sometimes they burn enough bridges and hurt enough people that, for example, their own children want nothing to do with them anymore. By the time they get older, they may continue marrying inappropriately young spouses. But now that's almost like this sort of imprisoned nursemaid model. You know, it's somebody who's just a permanent source of narcissistic supply or nurse master or nurse man, whatever you call it. But somebody who is much more just sort of existing to prop them up. It's kind of a sad life at the end, but when they are in the middle, when they're in their game, you're not stopping them. And so it's the wrong, it's the wrong fight. You know, instead of entering the city from the front, if you're going to attack it, it's it get it from behind. And it's really about as many of us as possible, no longer being a source of narcissistic supply for these people. And so, and it's impossible to avoid it these days, unless you're lucky enough to live in a place where all you have a very small, simple life and have cut all these people out, whether it's a partner, whether it's a colleague, whether it was your family of origin, whether it's an in-law, you're going to run into this. And so it's really about how can we all make ourselves safer and not succumb to it and not fall to the pressures of other people saying, oh, come on, everyone, just get along. It doesn't work. I mean, so I think that it's a, I'm recognizing more and more, we're never going to fix this at a wholesale level because it's always been there. It's more of how we can only teach people how to be present with it in a more healthy way. Yeah. And I think that's such a great message in a way, because it kind of comes full circle with everything in interpersonal relating. Also, all we ever have is ourselves. And I think one of the biggest things is just spreading the knowledge and the information. I now feel very equipped and hopefully won't, you know, make that mistake again. And I hope that the more I talk about it and share your knowledge and, you know, what, what you're bringing to the table, that is what helps. I agree. Like, you know, if the narcissist is going to rise and get fine, but they have their own burdens and and it's not about taking them down or not giving them an opportunity. It's about being, like you said, being prepared, coming from a place of safety for yourself and not getting swept up in the tales that they tell and that they probably believe in about themselves. But it's about saying, you know what, this is a red flag to me. I'm going to trust it. And I'm going to, I don't need someone to tell me they're kind. I'm going to experience the kindness, you know? Exactly. You nailed it. Is that what, what narcissistic people do is instead of giving you the experience, they tell you about the experience, (laughs) right? And that's what it is. And so, and that's a, that's another form of the future faking. You know, that, well, they're telling me all these things, so they must be true. And then you're realizing you actually would never witness these things that they said, you know, it's like going and standing in front of a restaurant and them explaining the meal to you, but you never sitting down and eating it. Yes. Like 
think I'd like to eat that rather than hear about it. <laughs> wow. That's actually super powerful. Um, well, I appreciate you being on here so much. And my podcast is called What is Wellness? So as we close up, what is wellness to you, Dr. Romney? I think for me, wellness is, I mean, staying in the theme we're talking about, it's about having access to and spending time with the good, compassionate, healthy people in my life and giving myself permission at setting boundaries or really removing people from my life that are not good for me. We let ourselves do this in every corner of our world. We remove the unhealthy food from our pantries. We make sure we don't sit near somebody who maybe is smoking cigarettes. We cut out other unhealthy things. We try to ensure that we're, we're using you know, safe things to clean our house. We go to such pain to do this and everywhere else in our life. And yet people look at you a little sideways when you say, yeah, I think I'm going to take the toxic people out of my life. Why is it that it's mean when I throw away a box of Twinkies? But I mean, what, what, why is it that it's not mean when I'm throwing away a box of Twinkies, but all of a sudden it's mean when I'm removing somebody from my life who's not good for me? I'd be better off eating the damn Twinkies. So <laughs> you would be. I, right. So I think that we, I, I wish there was a way to quantify how much harm to our health happens from having unhealthy people in it. I think it's probably worse than cigarettes, not sleeping, not exercising, eating sugar and processed foods combined. That is a powerful thing. You write about that in your book as well. It's, we are talking about health and wellness, and I really hope people pay attention to your words because it's so powerful in every aspect of your life. That's one of the most powerful things you could do for yourself is to create really good, healthy boundaries to carve people out of your life that are bringing you down, causing you physical stress, which we know is one of the biggest causes of illness that mm -hmm. you can put on your body. Absolutely. And it's a unique stress. Interpersonal stress is unique stress. So to your point on wellness, you know, I'd like to start with a more positive thought is it's almost like, Eat, I'm going to eat more healthy foods and I'm going to remove the unhealthy foods from my life. Right. Yes. So in this, I'm, instead of food, it's people. Yes. I'm going to really focus on, on being with the healthy people in my life and removing the unhealthy ones. To me, that is wellness from there. I'm going to be honest with you. The rest is easy because when you're around healthy people, they encourage you to do healthy things for you. They check in on you. They make sure there's balance. They don't leave you feeling sideways and upside down. I don't think there could be a more important intervention. And you're saying, what could we do in the world at large? We've got to, we've got to be willing to get into this message and have people stop saying, well, that kind of doesn't feel very friendly. Uh-uh. And none of this sort of summer camp kumbaya nonsense. If somebody's not good for you, they really don't have a place in your life. Set the boundary, figure it out. It might mean cutting them out. It may be setting a boundary. Everyone's lives are different. But yeah. to keep giving the best of yourselves to people who are toxic and difficult is like smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. It absolutely is. Well, I hope that people do really take the time to listen to not just this podcast, but so many of your really, I think, life-saving conversations that you have and your YouTube videos, your YouTube channel is incredible. You know, I hope that people follow that and subscribe and read your books. Um, I know that I have, and I appreciate you very much. And I'm incredibly, incredibly honored that you would take the time to talk to me today and share your amazing and unique wisdom. 
I appreciate it, Kristen. And I, yeah, please come to my YouTube. There's hundreds and hundreds of videos there that will probably address any possible issue you could have in a difficult relationship. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, yeah. Dr. Romney. Thank you, you again. Yep. Yeah, thanks so much. My pleasure. Bye-bye now. Bye.